This evening we're going to be in 2 Samuel 22. Well, we left off the last time with David slaying the giants. Uh, See some relatives of Goliath there. And today we're going to look at really a victory slash Thanksgiving psalm. As a matter of fact, it's almost an identical copy of Psalm 18. So as I go through it, and you've been with Pastor Paul Wednesday nights going through the Psalms, you'll probably recognize it. Now, it's quite possible that uh, in 2 Samuel 22, this was compiled over time. It was a historical compilation, and then it was tweaked a little bit, and then set to music, and then it became Psalm 18. Pastor Paul and I actually, I got a little insight from him because it was easier to talk to him because he already taught it not that long ago than to do research on both of these. <laughs> so, so we kind of talked about a few things there. So we're going to jump in. Uh, we're going to really look to see how uh, David presents God from many different angles. You know, we, we know a lot of characteristics about God. If we've been to church for a while and we've read, read God's word, uh, God is truth, God is love, God is light. God has different attributes that we become familiar with. We know that man was made in God's image. Uh, So we learn a lot. And then every so often we get insight under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, whether through a psalm or a writing of David, about different attributes of God. And we're going to check those out. So in verse 1, it says, Then David spoke to the Lord the words of this song. On the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So it's unknown exactly when this took place, but certainly we can see that it did take place post King Saul, after King Saul. And it does look like the dichotomy is clear between the enemies and then Saul. David never looked at Saul as his enemy. He actually looked at him as sort of a spiritual father. Uh, Saul started to just lose his mind and... He started to try to kill David, but David still was loyal to him and wouldn't kill him, even though he had numerous opportunities. It's interesting here, too, is that it says David spoke to the Lord, and we see relationship there. You know, When somebody tries to tell you in a, maybe even a Christian denomination that you have to go through this group of men or you have to go through the church, it's not true. All we have to do is flip through the Psalms. David spoke to God so candidly, so openly, so truthfully and, and from the heart. And I think the Psalms are the best example of a personal relationship that we can have with our God. Verse 2, and he said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. The God of my strength in him I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior, you save me from violence. So the first thing that God has looked at, according to David and David's eyes, is God is the protector. And I'll just look at some of these adjectives. Rock, fortress, deliverer, strength, shield, horn, refuge, salvation, stronghold, savior, and save. So it's like you kind of can put these together and get a picture of what he's speaking about. And as believers, we want to make sure that we know that anything we trust in aside from God is just flimsy protection. Uh, One thing I was always taught as a police officer was know the difference between cover and concealment. They sound similar. Concealment means that you, you go behind something so you can't be seen, but it doesn't necessarily provide you with cover. 
If you're in, in a serious situation like a gun battle, you've got to make sure you get behind cover and not just a, a, a billboard, you know, a poster, because they're going to come right through the bullets and get you. So when we think about hiding somewhere as believers, we have to hide in God. We have to also know the difference between concealment and cover, what's going to protect us and what's going to afford us flimsy protection. Our foundation also, as we look through this, has to be built on the spiritual house, which is the Lord. Verse 4. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. When the waves of death encompassed me, the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me. Sheol, the realm of the dead. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry entered his ears. So this is David presenting God, and and a lot of these are similar, but with subtle nuances. He presents God, number two, as the willing deliverer. He delivered David out of a lot of these trials. His ears are always open to our cries and our prayers. And the words and phrases used that I grouped together, call upon, be saved from, cried to, cry entered his ears, and he heard my voice. So when trials come in life, we know that when we call out to God, he hears us. David was really, as we start to read this, for those of you who are not familiar with the Bible, David was always, you know, he was the king. Before he was the king, he was supposed to be the king. But the guy who was the king was jealous and was trying to kill him. And even when he was the king, he still had to fight wars and battles. So David was always a step away from death. Now, some of the the tragedy was inside of his own home. Treachery, traitors, usurpers from his own family. And we can look at this uh, emanating from a few things. Number one, the product of David's sin. Now, sometimes we, let's say we sin against our body and we get very sick. It doesn't mean that God is judging us. It's just the effect of sin when we sin against our body. So there can be just natural ramifications of sin that even have nothing to do with God. However, then there's also instances, and in in David's life, for some of his grievous sins, uh, the Lord had to deal with him. He had to discipline him. Uh, And then also, number three, David made some foolish decisions like hanging out with the Philistines. So you put all these things together and you can see that You know, he had trouble in his life. He had a heart after God, but he had a lot of trouble in his life. And what we also find is that all the trials David went through, even the ones that weren't started by him, it helped to hone his character. I always find and I see in the world that any leader that's handed a kingdom or a presidency and has never gone through hardships, they're always the worst type of leaders. And they're always the worst type of dictators because their characters aren't molded yet, and yet they're given all this power. But not David. David was tried before given such an awesome responsibility. And in verse 4, it says, The Lord is worthy to be praised. This is a, really a good habit that we should get into, praising the Lord. And even in bad times, in difficult times, in frustrating times, in grievous times, the Lord is still good. We still need to praise the Lord. I mean, what kind of people would we be if we just only loved the Lord or thanked Him or... Um, responded to him in, in great times. If we did that with people, it would be a very shallow relationship. Verse 8. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven moved and shook. 
because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. Some imagery here. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness canopies around him, dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, coals of fire were kindled. Three, God is presented as the deliverer of judgment. Now, God is a God of love, but he's also a God of justice, and with justice comes judgment at times. If you're not familiar with allegory or poetic language, you might have difficult with this. There's, I guess we can have big words for what we're hearing. One is an anthropomorphism, where we attribute man-like characters to somebody other than, it's, other than a human. God is not a human. Um, there's, there's embellishment, there's purposeful grandiosity, um, and, and it's, it's really to make a, a very strong point here, and we'll, we'll go over this. The cherubim, or cherub, is, uh, is an order of angels. We don't see hear much about angels in the scripture, but we do know some things. The, the cherubim, the seraphim, you know, there's different angels, there's archangels, etc. So the question is, was God really, you know, did he saddle up an angel, put the spurs on in the boots and giddy up and ride him down? And I don't think so. Um, in Psalm 17, the psalmist says, hide me in the shadow of your wings. Does God have big feathers? No. Again, you have to understand the type of, of poetic language he's speaking in. He's looking to make a point. It's not meant to, you, we can't take theological doctrine out of this. That would be taking the scripture out of context. But if we look at Ezekiel 1 and Isaiah 6, we see angels. And we see they, had an, they have an incredible responsibility um, when they deal with God. They worship God, they announce God, they do his bidding. You know, they send messages to certain people on earth from God. So there's a, they have a lot of functions here. Um, but I don't think he literally saddled one up with a leather saddle and rode him down. Um, again, I think it's the way it's, it's, it's poetic in a sense. And the question, too, does God have smoke coming out of his nostrils? Does he even have nostrils? You know, you, you get a picture of almost a dragon doing something like this. God's not a dragon. But what, this is what it's meant to show. Let's boil it down. It's meant to show that once God is made his decision after all the grace has run out and he's going to mete out judgment, it's not going to be weak and indecisive. So that's what we can take from this. Verse 14. The Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning bolts, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered at the rebuke of the Lord and the blast of the breath of his nostrils. So it presents God as number four, the executor of judgment. Here's another grouping. Lightning, thunder, sea upheaval, and a blast of breath. Um, we know in the scripture that God has used um, storms and meteorological changes in judgment and to affect his will. Okay, next grouping. 17. He sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters, he delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my support. He also brought me into a broad place. He delivered me 
because he delighted in me. Presents God as number five, the executor of deliverance. The executor of deliverance. So God promotes and rewards those that endure and allow themselves to be molded by these trials, and David was that person. And there's this also a concept of enlarging David. Right? It's, a, it's a, an understanding. He enlarges us at times. He enlarges David. He's in, he enlarges this church. He's blessed this church. You know, we can look at different people even today that have been enlarged by God, so to speak. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't come without trials and battles. If we're really doing the will of God, whether it was David physically fighting battles with swords and arrows and things like that and horses, or us today as Christians just honoring the Lord and getting grief in a spiritual sense, a spiritual battle, okay, it's the same concept. Will we continue to honor the Lord even though we get grief and trials come upon us? And sometimes from those close to us. Verse 21, it says, The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and I have not wickedly departed from my God, for all his judgments were before me. And as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his eyes. This is heavy, because what comes to mind? How could David say this? You know, what about Bathsheba and Uriah? What about sin in general? He's presenting God here, number six, as the one that honors those who honor him. And there's some overlap in these we're going to find. So different Bible teachers look at this and say this has to be before Bathsheba and Uriah. How could he say this without hypocrisy? Another way to look at it is accounting for God's forgiveness. Remember, David repented grievously. He was punished for his sins, but there was restoration. And God restored him. You know, he continued to keep him on the throne. I mean, he paid a price. But see, restoration is sweet. However, restoration can't come before repentance. I mean, that's scriptural. You know, when we sin and we do things and we hurt other people and we just keep going and going and we don't repent, you know, restoration can't really be full because it's built on a faulty foundation. So some will say, well, this could have been after the Bathsheba and Uriah incident because God is such a merciful God and he did restore him. Others will say this had to be after Saul and before Bathsheba and Uriah. Yeah, so people disagree on that. Well, what did David do that was righteous even before that incident? Well, number one, he had the opportunity to kill King Saul, and he did not. He would not touch the Lord's anointed. He was going to wait as long as it took and be a fugitive for God to deal with King Saul because he wasn't going to take his life. He had several opportunities as well. The other thing is, um, number two, he didn't turn to idols. So many people in the Old Testament, even some of the patriarchs, turned to idols at least for a time, where they carried them with them to kind of hedge their bets. But David never did that. Let me read to you, I'm just going to digress for a moment, Romans 4, 1 through 8. Pastor Vinny covered this. Now remember, there was, you know, the, the understanding of salvation is clean, and it's, it's uniform throughout the Old and the New Testament. However, the people in the Old Testament had... Um, a standard of righteousness a little bit different because they believed in the future Messiah. They believed in the promises of God. And then when the Messiah came, 
He died for the sins of the past, present, and future. It can be a little confusing when we look at this on a linear timeline. We're going back and forth from the past, the present, the future, back to the past. Remember, God sees things uniformly. He sees it all at the same time. That's why he, can, he knows the future and we don't. We, we're stuck as human beings in linear time. Right? What I just said a second ago just became the past. Now this is the present. A second later, it'll become the present. We'll be looking to the future. See how confusing it can get? So we're stuck. We're trapped in linear time, but God is not. So keep that in mind. Let me read to you Romans 4. It says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, was found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something of which to boast, but not before God. But what does the scripture say? The Apostle Paul is making the argument that Abraham was not justified by works. He was justified by faith, as we are in, in the New Covenant. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him, God, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted or imputed. It's an accounting term for righteousness. It goes in the good column. Okay, automatically, because we believe in God. And he, they mentioned David too in verse 6. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man who God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are forgiven, are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Again, in our day, 2014, in order to be saved, we just believe in what Jesus did on the cross. And immediately, it's imputed to us for righteousness. Not because we're good, but because of what, what God did. And in a lot of ways, David is speaking, and he knew that God was the one that empowered him. God was the one that lifted him up. He even knew that God was the one that allowed him to make good choices and righteous choices. God said, David is a man after my own heart. But David also credited God for anything good that he did. So we have to completely get that straight. 1 John 1, 9, 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One thing that uh, I took from Pastor Paul's notes when he was in Psalm 18, he said that David recognized his ability to please God by being obedient to God's word. Of course, he had his moments of sin, of missing the mark. But he also acknowledged that God gave him the power to live obediently, and he gives God the glory through it all. 26. With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. You will save the humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty that you may bring them down. That should be frightening to anybody who's filled with pride. That's, that's a scary thought. Prideful people are so self-deceived. They just keep, they keep inflating their ego. It keeps getting inflated, and one day it just comes crashing down. God's merciful. He waits, but he will deal with that prideful person. Uh, he presents God here in number seven as the merciful one, even in discipline, even in meeting out justice. So David was merciful and God rewarded him with mercy. What does Jesus say in Matthew 5? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Right? It's kind of like you get what you give, right? Don't judge because you'll be judged by the, the harshness that you judge others with. It's kind of this reflexive 
uh, theology, and I think it's kind of neat. You know, if we're merciful, we do good, we might not see it, but God sees it, and he will reward that. David was faithful, and God honored him, and God honors us. us. We spoke about this Sunday, God responds to faith. Even if we just have a little bit of faith, God will respond to that. And as our faith grows, God responds to that as well. It's a relationship, remember. And one last thing, James 4, 6. It says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 29. For you are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord shall enlighten my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. For by my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all those who trust in him. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? God is my strength and power, and he makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer and sets me on my high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Did you ever watch a deer or a goat or some of these four-footed nimble animals when they go through a, a you see on the videos, whether it's rocky crag, side of a hill with trees and stuff that we would break our ankle with, and they can actually run up and down sideways, and it's amazing. They're just so nimble. So I love the allegories. I love the way these men of God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, kind of gives us pictures that we can see in the animal kingdom and say, oh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Is that how you felt? That's how I felt. You know, God, God empowered me to do these things. You have also given me the shield of your salvation, verse 36, and your gentleness has made me great. You enlarged my path under me so my feet did not slip. Picture of a a nice, wide, sure-footed foundation. I have pursued my enemies and destroyed them. Neither did I turn back again until they were destroyed, and I have destroyed them and wounded them so that they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet, for you have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued under me those who rose against me. You have also given me the necks of my enemies so that I destroyed those who hated me. So he presents God number eight as empowering those that God uses and also making them victorious. No, the Lord helped David through the years and the Lord will also help us. This isn't just for David. This isn't just some storybook that's been closed and It doesn't affect us. It isn't some story we're reading about a thousand years ago, several thousand years ago that has no effect. This has every effect on our lives. David was just a person, just like you and I. He was the least in his family. He was, the Bible kind of describes him as maybe a runtish figure. And and his brothers were these big, massive warriors. And even uh, when he was going to be picked and anointed, the person who was supposed to anoint him looked at the brothers and said, surely these are the ones, this guy. And then they looked, he looked at David and God says, no, that's the one I want. You know, we, we judge with our appearance, but God looks at the heart. So God took this person, the least of his family, little shepherd boy, and made a mighty king out of him. Pretty impressive. He can do the same thing with us. A few things here, verse 29, it says, the picture of God as a lamp or the source of light, spiritual illumination. The Bible tells us that God is light. God's word, Psalm 119.105, tells us is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And on a smaller scale, in the last chapter, David's men called him the lamp of Israel. And in the New Testament, Jesus speaks about us, about containing light, the light of Jesus Christ. 
You know, when we go out into the world, we're supposed to make a positive influence, not a negative one. You know, you, you light a lamp and, and you don't put it under a basket, you put it on the table so it gives light to the whole house. And it's, it's, so it's not blasphemous, it's that God is the source of that light. But each one of us have a little lamp inside of us that are believers because, you know, God is the one who imparts his Holy Spirit. And we also emulate Jesus Christ if we're doing it right. So the, the picture of light, especially in those days, today we just turn on a switch. Back in those days, light was important. You don't have street lights at night, and these little lamps really had to do the job, uh, especially after the sun went down. We also know that David, he speaks about how he could do all these amazing things, and he did. He wasn't being prideful. David was invincible on the battlefield because he was doing the Lord's will. And I've heard the expression that we are actually invincible to the, to, the, to the point while we're serving God. So if God is using us, we are invincible. Now, when God's done using us or we choose not to be used anymore, things change. But the truth is, we can, we can have that same euphoria that David has, that spiritual euphoria when God is using us. And if you've been a Christian for some time and you've allowed the Lord to use you, even something simple as feeding the poor or you know, going to these, these run-down uh, economic places and helping people and praying with them and giving out Bibles, it is, it is a feeling like no other because God is using you to bless these people. David also, I believe, he had his moments, especially when you read the Psalms, but I think in general he was an optimist. He was an optimist. Verse 42. Let me just say this too. There is going to get to this point about the, the judgment on the bad guys, so to speak. And God, even with the, the, the bad armies and the, the, the horrible, horrific kingdoms, what they would do to their prisoners. I mean, there was no Geneva Convention. These people were brutal. And God gave them sometimes hundreds of years to repent. So if you, maybe you're not that familiar with the scripture and it could be a little disturbing, understand this. Let's talk about today. Boko Haram, that radical Islamic group that kidnapped those 276 young girls from school, uh, kidnapped them, they're going to sell them as sex slaves, prostitution. That's sick. You know, I, I really am not going to shed a tear if the special forces come in and wipe them out. And, you know, I don't want to get too into history and politics, but even the whole thing with Chechnya, when they went into that school, the, the Chechnyan, again, radical Islamists, when the Russian military came in, they used the children as, as human shields. These people are such cowards with their guns, when the, when the good guys came in, they held up the children so that the soldiers would have to shoot through the children. I just have to say it. This is the world. We live in a twisted society. We live in a twisted world. So when God finally institutes justice, hey, I hope they get saved, but if they don't, I can't, I can't feel sorry for them. I'm sorry. I just, you know, that's how I feel. <laughs> and God's word is good. You know, he's, he's very, very patient. Verse 42 they looked, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. To the unrepentant and the rebellious. Then I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth. I trod them like dirt in the streets, and I spread them out. You have also delivered me from the strivings of my people. You have kept me as the head of the nations. A people whom I have not known shall serve me. The foreigners submit to me. As soon as they hear, they obey me. The foreigners fade away, and they come frightened from their hideouts. Understand this as well. In God's law, even in the Old Testament, we were to be hospitable to the foreigner. 
what he's referring to are the, the ungodly, the uh, refusing to come to God, refusing to show mercy. Uh, these were some, you know, they, it just was a bad situation. That's who he's speaking about. So in this point, number nine, he presents God as refusing to help this, these wicked, you know, these wicked people. Verse 47, last few verses. The Lord lives, blessed be my rock. Let God be exalted, the rock of my salvation. It is God who avenges me, who subdues the people under me, who delivers me from my enemies, who also lift me above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. He is the tower of salvation to his king and shows mercy to his anointed to David and his descendants forevermore. He presents God in number 10 as the one who elects, establishes, and exalts. And here it was David. And we can see some allusions to Gentile inclusion, which that happened under Jesus Christ, right? He brought the the Jews and the Gentiles under the same tent, right? One big happy family. The Apostle Paul said that there's no separation between people anymore under Christ. He loves it, you know, different nations, different tribes, different colors, different geography. They're all going to be in heaven together. You know, we're all God's children. So where there was separation under the Messiah, he brought everybody together. And basically this concludes the Psalm of Thanksgiving. And I think it would be a shame if we closed the book now and didn't make an application to our lives. There's plenty of applications in addition to the ones we always spoke about. I would just say this as well. In David's life, if you follow his life, it was difficult. He was a fugitive for years. I mean, if you ever listen to even modern-day fugitive stories, it's a tough life. You know, there's just no home. There's paranoia. There's... So no matter how bad David's life was, no matter how difficult things were, he was always able to offer praise and thanksgiving to God. And this should give us encouragement. Because there may be some sitting here this evening that are going through some really difficult things. And what I'd like you to do is to be able to walk out of this building with a little bit more of a spring in your step, knowing that you can praise God, that he hears you when you cry. He hears your prayers. He wants to be there for you. He wants to encourage you in the difficult times. It's easy to have a relationship with God in the good times, but it's really nice during the difficult times when we sense his presence, when he's lifting us up, when he's saying, you're going to get through this because I'm going to get you through it. That's awesome. David also trusted God through everything he went through. You know, and as a new Christian, I, you know, I was getting my sea legs. I didn't understand how to walk as a believer. And I would get depressed when things went bad. And I'm like, but I became a Christian, Lord. You know, I... But I didn't realize that I had to trust God through everything, through the highs and the lows. So as we start to mature in Christ, we don't think anymore, God doesn't love me, he's forgotten me. We know the truth. Why should we escape anything that some of the saints of old went through, right? And also, using David's example, we can learn that we can be victorious through trials and tribulations. See, that's the beautiful thing, and our lives in general. God wants us to be victorious. Jesus gives us the victory. Right? When he said on the cross, it is finished, to tell us die, he did what he came to do. The world looked at it and said, what a loser. He died on the cross on a Roman tree. But if you really know what Jesus did, it was victorious. It was victory because that gave 
the, the gateway for all of us to have everlasting life because he died for our sins. Any sin we committed, are committing now, will commit in the future, Christ has already paid for. Uh, and, and certainly you can see a lot of parallels between David in his imperfection, but Jesus Christ as the son of David in his perfection. And my prayer is that we would also learn to apply this to our lives. Let's pray.